the book of Jude. We've been steadily working through here, and Lord willing, this evening we'll be working through verse 11 through 13. Starting in Jude chapter 11, or Jude chapter 1, only one chapter, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are, without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the root. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come here on Wednesday night. This is what we call the prayer service, Lord. We offered up many requests before the services, uh, not only for those who are ill, but those who have upcoming procedures, Lord, some for guidance, some for strength, Lord, some for situations that are unfolding in their life. The one testimony that we all share this evening is that we have come together believing and offering our requests before you, knowing that you are the God who answers prayers, and you are the only answer to our prayers. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us here this in these few moments as we study your word, Lord. May as we continue to work through these apostates that not only plagued Jude's age, but that even plague our age, May we not be wore down, but may we be sharpened in understanding and what it means to spot these apostates, these terrorists who have seek to bring harm to the truth and those who stand for it. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read again here verse 11 and kind of bring to our mind again what Jude is building on top of each other in verse 3. He said, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. But it wasn't just that they have gone in the way of Cain. Notice what the verse says. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And perished in the gainsaying of Kor. You know, illustrations are powerful. And when we use them correctly, and when they are used correctly, what happens is they enable both the person who is speaking and the person who is receiving to have a deeper understanding. It allows us, through the use of illustrations, to get a firmer grasp of spiritual truths that we may not have fully understood previously. Jude, as we've seen last week about these, the, we've really seen about the character of these apostates. They were men who hated 
authority. It said the text says that they despised dominion. We even see more that in the previous verses is that Jude calls them filthy dreamers. We, we talked about this, is that these men who had crept in the church in order for them to come into a place of authority in the church, in order to be able to pursue their own desires, they first had to figure out how they were going to take this authority in the church, and this came through their filthy dreams. When people do not like the truths of God's word, they say God comes to them in dreams, really disregarding the sufficiency of scriptures that we have today. Not only were they filthy dreamers, but it went on to say in verse, um, verse 10 that they spoke evil against dignities. They literally spoke evil against heaven. They were running on natural instinct. They were void of the Holy Spirit. And he closes out really verse number 10 saying, 10 saying everything that these apostates did, it only further corrupted themselves. But that wasn't enough. Now Jude wants to take us to another place to kind of bring us to a remembrance. He does this three different times. He shows us the judgment that came. And he gives us three illustrations. And then he tells us about their characteristics. And then he gives us three illustrations of times past of people who had this same behavior. People who despised dominion. People who hated this authority. These people in the times past who fell in this same exact category. So the three that he brings before us in verse 11, he says, let me illustrate this to you even more. These who have gone the way of Cain, these people who followed after the error of Balaam, and these people who were like Kor. He takes us to a time in history to remind them of this situation. Uh, there was an English poet that's often quoted, um, actually he's an American poet, and he's often quoted for us. His name was George Santiana, and he said, those who can not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So Jude takes them to the past to hopefully refresh them so that these people will be reminded and not be so doomed to repeat it. Notice here, first he says, woe unto them. Woe. Uh, this is really an outburst of emotion on Jude's behalf. This isn't just like, whoa. This is like the outpouring, like, whoa, whoa, woe unto them who's gone the way of Cain. As a matter of fact, it was to said in this context to fully understand how this woe would be heard. It is a woe that the pitch of voice would be that of pain. It would be that of sorrow. It would be that of horror. Jude had found himself as he looked upon these apostates who have crept in the church. He said, whoa, it's horror. It's painful. It's sorrow. It causes him grief to see these people who have gone the same way that Cain had. So we ask ourselves, what is this way of Cain? Well, if we go back and really begin to think about 
in the garden, what happened there after Adam and Eve sinned? What happened? The first thing they did is they turned to these fig leaves and they sewed these fig leaves together, trying to cover up their nakedness, trying to cover up the reality of what they now understood because of their sin. But when we get to Genesis chapter 3 in the 21st verse, we find out that God would slay an animal. There would be shedding of blood, and then there would be a covering of their nakedness. This was what we would consider the way of faith. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 tells us what? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But in Genesis chapter 4, they know this truth, right? They understand that there was a time of sacrifice. They understood that there was a time of worship that was even to happen. Even to happen. But by the time you make it to Genesis chapter 4, they arrive here to worship. They arrive here to give their offering unto the Lord. And we know that Abel arrives and he brings this uh, thirstling. But then when Cain arrives, he brings the fruit of his own labor. And in the bringing of the fruit of his own labor, Cain found him in a place where not only did God reject Cain's sacrifice, but it brings us to a place where we see that God rejected Cain. His heart was not right before God. It, it was at a place where he lacked faith on Sunday night when we was looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and we started talking about how it was the chapter of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh. Now, notice... Cain brought an offering. Cain was a tiller of the ground. He brought an offering that actually he labored for. He worked hard for this offering, yet it, it was the offering that he wanted to bring, but it was not an offering that was acceptable unto God. Cain's problem is the same thing that we hear Paul reminding those Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8, what? That salvation is not by works of righteousness, which we have done. And so it is. The way that we desire to serve God, the way that we desire to come to God, is not acceptable before God. The way of Cain is religion without faith. It's where righteousness is based on character and good works. The way of Cain is the way of pride. The way of Cain is man establishing his own righteousness and rejecting the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Christ. So then what happened? What happened after this? Cain becomes a fugitive. He tries to overcome his wretchedness. Matter of fact, as you continue to read on in Genesis, Cain goes on to try to build his own civiliz civilization. And you know what? Cain does great in the carnal eyes. I mean, really, you could really say that Cain ended up with everything he could ever desire except God. He seemed to have it all in the world's eyes. Cain rebelled against God's way of salvation. He rebelled against God's way of atoning for sins. 
and went the way of good works. This offering of his own hands really showed the blasphemy of his heart. So Jude says, woe to a group of people who knows what God requires of, to, of, requires of you and you still do your own thing. Woe to a group of people who you know what God requires of you to have successful worship and you still do your own thing. Woe to these people who you may not blaspheme the Lord with your mouth, but you do with your heart because you know what he says, but your desires still have preeminence in your life. Woe to these people who have made worship about themselves. They have gone the way of Cain. But it's even more. He says, woe to these people who have made worship about themselves. Remember, we're speaking of these apostates here, and that's exactly what they've done in the church. Woe to these people who've made worship about themselves, and even more, woe unto them who's gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. It's both. Not only did they make worship about themselves, we see what has inspired them to make worship about themselves. It was greed. It, woe to them who ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. They went that way. They went after prosperity. They went after money. They went after possessions. They went after this material life. They've taken their possessions and used it for gain. Remember what Balaam was as you go through it. Matter of fact, uh, Balaam is referenced many times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, Balaam was what you would say he was a prophet for hire. He would be hired by different kings and different people to come and, and, and prophesy and offer up blessings. And what happened was the king of Moab wanted to hire Balaam to come and give forth a curse upon the children of Israel. And the king of Moab just so happened to be the highest bidder. But see, the problem was with Balaam this error of Balaam for reward is that Balaam was willing, what we seen, to curse the children of Israel. See, Balaam was so focused on money that as long as he got his money, he didn't care if it brought destruction on other people. That's, it, it consumed his life. So where do we find with Balaam? So Balaam goes to offer up this curse and to prophesy this curse over the children of Israel, and that was turned away. God stopped that, and it turned into this blessing. Even more, when Balaam's own donkey stopped him. Remember, Balaam doesn't have this situation. Don't look at the Balaam situation. Is that Balaam hates Israel. That's not what's driving Israel. I mean, that's not what's driving Balaam. What's driving Balaam is his love for money. So he goes the first time. The Lord, the God stops the prophecy, or the prophesying, this, giving this curse. He goes again. He, the donkey stops him. So you know what Balaam wants to do? He wants to kill the donkey. And then here we are again with Balaam. When he realizes he can't prophesy against them, then he says, you know what? He goes to the king of Moab and says, if you 
Use your people to seduce the men of Israel and bring them into idolatry. Their own God will bring judgment down upon them. So he reminds them even again, what is this again? That Balaam doesn't care what happens to anyone else as long as he gets his pay from the king of Moab. Remember last week when we talked about this, how these men had crept in unaware? And we referenced, I said, made this reference to them as if they're terrorists. This is the most dangerous thing about terrorists, is it not? That as long as they get what their heart's desire is, they really don't care what happens to anyone else. We've seen that at 9-11. We've seen that at the Boston bombing. It was their heart's desire that brought them joy that they were standing for their false god. And because of this, destruction came to others. But who cares? Their heart's desire was able to be manifest. And so it was for Balaam. And so it was for these people who had gone the way of Cain and made worship about themselves. And even worse than making worship about themselves, they had went after this worship and made it about themselves for the sense and the purpose of making money. Even more we could even say today about these people you know, they're greedy. They don't care who's going to die. They don't care about this outcome. They only care about the end. Even more, Korah, we see these cousins to Moses. Korah was a Levite. He was banned from the priesthood, but he was out against the leadership that God had put into place. He was against it. They didn't want it at all. So now we see even more. They went after the way of Cain, meaning they made worship about themselves. It was the way of Balaam, meaning that not only was they out for themselves, but they was out for what they could make. But then they totally despised authority. And here it is what Korah did. He was against Moses. He led a rebellion against Moses. And what we find from this rebellion that he led against Moses, he had some 15,000 followers. And though he had these 15,000 followers and he led this rebellion against Moses, God would open up the earth, swallow up Korah. He would then further bring a plague upon the 15,000 people and kill them too. So what is he illustrating here? Cain rebelled against God's authority and salvation. He refused to bring a blood sacrifice as God has commanded. Balaam rebelled against God's authority. For he prostituted his gifts for money and led Israel to mix with other nations. Korah rebelled against God's authority and service, denying that Moses was God's appointed servant and attempted to usurp his authority. So they traveled on the road of Cain. They gave themselves over to the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. This is a tragedy. It is a rejection of authority. So he says here, Jude says, let me tell you what having these people in your church services is like. Let me tell you how God views you worshiping 
with these people. And then even further, let me tell you about the risk you're subjecting yourselves to worshiping with people like this and not handling it. He says in verse 12, these, meaning these men, they are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees um, whose fruit withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. This word spots comes from the Greek word spilas. Let me kind of give it to you in the analogy that the dictionary offered this up. The word spilas, it, it is to give you this idea of a rock. Oftentimes, majority of times, it's referred to as a reef. Now, we oftentimes, when we think of reefs, we think about in water, and I do think that this is the danger that Jude is trying to emphasize to them. What Jude is saying is that as you guys are all coming together for worship, imagine it like this, as you guys are all coming into the services to worship, you're coming together for this charity, um, this feast of charity. If you want to get an idea of the feast of charity, read Acts chapter 2, I think it's in the 42nd verse or the 24th verse. It kind of gives you an idea that they came together, they studied the word, they worshiped the Lord, they communed, and then they had a feast afterwards. But the feast of charity was to show the love for one another in the house of the Lord. So he says these men are like reefs in here. They're, they're like when you're coming in as you see a ship coming in the shore or as you see a ship sailing. You know, the danger of the reefs are hidden underneath the water. And most of the time, sailors don't even know the danger that exists underneath the water until it rips off the bottom of the ship, until it punches a hole, and then the ship sinks, and it takes everybody who was in the ship down with them. He said these people are like these reefs hidden underwater. The only thing that they're going to do to you is you're not going to fully see what they're all about, but when you guys come into worship, they will sink the purpose. What does that mean? What does it mean that there's spots in the, uh, in the Feast of Charity? Well, the Feast of Charity was supposed to be about each other, about the house of God. But the reason that there are reefs to the Feast of Charity is because when they gathered together and they were supposed to be caring about each other in the church, these apostates made it all about themselves. They completely sunk the purpose of this feast of charity. They had become the center of attention. They had drawn everybody's eyes to themselves. They had crept in and destroyed the main purpose of their feast. Their only interest that they had in the church was self-interest, self-gratification at the expense of anyone else. That's all he cared about. He goes on to say, there are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Cloud, clouds they are without water, carried by the winds. Now we understand the normal cycle of weather here. 
when we see clouds rolling in, dark clouds rolling in, our anticipation of these clouds coming in is that they are going to produce water. But these men, see, they come in, they're clouds. They, they say, hey, I'm a preacher. Hey, I'm a prophet. Hey, I'm an apostle. They even claim that they have abilities. They claim that they have the ability to heal. We see that even in like Benny Hinn today. Benny Hinn says, look at me. He's one of these clouds that have rolled in. And he says, I have the ability to do great miracles. Even more. Like Kenneth Copeland the other day, we talked about, I think a couple weeks ago, how he was on television talking about how he had the ability to prophesy and to give all of these prophecies. Several weeks ago, we found a book downstairs, and the, the title of the book was 88 Reasons That the Rapture Is Going to Happen in 1988. Now, I looked the book up even more just to see more about it, and you know what? In 1987, it sold a lot of copies, but you know how many books that author writ and wrote in 1989? None. You know why? Because he was a cloud without water. These men, they come in and they say that they're all these great things. Trust me, I have visions. Trust me, I can prophesy. Trust me, I can heal. But they never produce any rain. Benny Hinn's not going to the hospital and healing people. What's he doing? He's a fraud. It's a cloud without water. They fail to deliver. One of the things that had went viral during the COVID pandemic is that um, one of the preachers was on TV and he, he says, from this moment forward, I bind you COVID and cast you into the pits of hell. No lie. The guy had COVID the next week. And, you know, the tabloids just had a blast with it. Why? Because he acted like he had the authority, the power to do something in which he had no power at all. Clouds with no water. Apostate teachers promised to bring the true spiritual blessings and refreshment from God but they do not deliver on that promise. Jude likened them to clouds carried along by the wind. They are trees without fruit. They are twice dead, plucked up by the root. He said, these people who proclaim to be all these things. He, he's going in this downward spiral of everything in your mind that would make you say that these guys are literally nothing. He said, not only if they were a plant, not only do they not bear fruit, but they're a plant that's plucked up. There's no fruit on the plant. And when you look at the root, it's dead too. They are dead at the very core. When farmers and gardeners expect to harvest the final crops of the year, if nothing comes, they endure the disappointment and hardship through the winter. The next spring, they begin the painstaking process of fertilizing and planting and watering and waiting for the crop to mature. 
with this mind, he says, the phrase with, without fruit, it pictures the disappointing reality of a barren harvest. This is what he's saying. There's no harvest at all. There's nothing that they've done. They have all these things, but there's been no real fruit under their ministry. There's been no life changed. I think I'm safe to say to go out on a limb, Benny Hinn has never healed no one for the cause of Christ. It is a barren ministry. Uh, empty profession and an utter lack of spiritual life to a barren harvest. He called them twice dead. First, because they are fruitless, because there is no life in them. Second, because they are uprooted and dead at the very core, disconnected from the life-giving source of water and nutrients from the Word of God. They are like trees that have come out of the ground, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, he says in verse 13. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. One of the things that you'll see if you ever go down, go down to the seashore, or if you ever go down camping, well, I can remember one time we went camping, we was down at Brookville, and it was a real bad storm the night before. And the next morning, we was going to go down to the shore, and my son Caleb was going to use his metal detector. It was going to be a wonderful time. He was going to find this huge ring, and everybody's going to retire. But we get there the next morning, and there is garbage all over the beach. That storm that had happened the night before had caused these raging waves and had stirred up all this garbage and debris and threw it upon the shore. He said, these men, they're like raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. They foam out their own disaster. When a storm comes, it leaves nothing but destruction and chaos. And so it is. These raging waves of the sea, after they're done, when they're settled, the only thing you find upon the shore is garbage, debris, nothing of new life. They've destroyed everything in its path. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The seashore is littered with debris and mire, which is neither beneficial nor life-giving. This is the graphic picture of what false teachers produce. With all their empty talk and self-serving activity, they are like wild waves. In the end, they are only casting up their own shame like foam. Disgraceful attitudes and actions display all forms of heresy, deception, immorality, insubordination to the word of God. He says, they are like wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Wandering stars does not, uh, really what he's not trying to say here is not referring to stars that are in orbit right now that we see like in the Milky Way galaxy. But what he's really trying to 
signify here, what he's really trying to drive home with this text, these wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. He's really trying to signify a shooting star. In one moment, they have this bright light of brilliance, and they're in the sky, and all of a sudden they're shooting down, and you're amazed, like, wow, there it goes, and it's gone. And so it is with these apostates. They often appear for a short time on the stage of Christianity. They promise an enduring spiritual light. They're bright. They capture everybody's eyes. Isn't that what happens when you see a shooting star? Your eyes are drawn away from all the other fixed stars that are in orbit, and you're drawn to the one that's coming down to earth, and you're captivated in that moment. He said, these apostates, they're like those fallen stars. You're captivated for a moment, but in the end, they're soon going to be burned out. To be what? To remain in darkness forever. This is Jude's description. A valid comparison with the past analogies and a paint a vivid portrait of these apostates. They're hypocritical deceivers, immoral sinners, and as a result, they are spiritual terrorists in the house of God. They misrepresent truth. They fly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They twist the scriptures to meet their own desires. So when Jude sees them in this moment with great sorrow, pain, and heartache, he says, woe to anyone who will pursue religion without faith. Woe to anyone who, when they're in the house of God, makes it about themselves. And woe to anyone who will stand up against authority when authority is given forth, when authority is given in the word of God. Woe to anybody who stands against the word of God. They too will be judged like core. I always found this interesting here, even in how the way Jude said this, he said, woe unto them. Now notice how he says it. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. They have gone and they have perished. It's already done. This is their end. This is their demise. Kor was already judged. Balaam's already been handled. And woe to anybody who makes religion about themselves and makes it um, and pursues religion in their own desire after knowing what the truths of God's word says. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you, Lord, as we continue on Wednesday nights to study this book of Jude, Lord. Lord, I pray that it's enlightening to our eyes and to our hearts and that it sharpens our minds, Lord, and that we get a deeper understanding of your word, Lord. As we look upon this world, Lord, and we see these people that we don't say tongue-in-cheek, well, they're just confused. No, Lord. May, uh, may we be able to say with great boldness that they've gone the way of Cain, that they're after their own greed just like Balaam, and that their end will be just like Kor, that judgment will come for them and that God will have his way. But Jude reminds them of this so that they will suit up, so that they will put on the armor, so that they will 
stand against the wickedness of their time. And so, Lord, as we even referenced people who are professing to have your ministries today, Lord, may we take this upon ourselves and be awakened that it's time to contend for the faith, that it's time to speak against false doctrine, that it's time to speak against people who are corrupting the truths of your words. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.